Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, here is your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Thank you, Gertrude and Ola listeners. Welcome to Episode 69 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Well, April is National Poetry Month, and while we're nearly at the end of the month as of this recording, I can't let it pass by without doing a podcast or so about poetry. One of the things we traditionally do here on the podcast is feature a recorded live reading from the Greenbrier Valley Theater here in my stomping grounds of Lewisburg. Each year, GVT and West Virginia writers co-sponsor a series of literary teas in which people come to hear both classic and original stories, as well as poetry, read all while sipping hot tea and eating scrumptious baked goods from the bakery on Court Street in Lewisburg. Many times, local winners of the West Virginia Writers' annual writing contest are invited to come and read their winning entries, and that is the case with the poetry tea as well. The winners of the 2013 contest were announced at last year's West Virginia Writers Summer Conference, which is held at Cedar Lakes Conference Center in Ripley. That brings me to the fact that we are now only a few weeks away from the 2014 Summer Conference, where this year's contest winners will be announced at the awards banquet. That conference is coming up June 12th, 13th, and 14th at the aforementioned Cedar Lakes. If you would like to attend that conference or just find out more information about it, we have all the registration information available at our website on the conference page. So if you go to wvwriters.org, you can find it there. You will also find not only a registration form for the conference itself, but also one for meals and lodging through Cedar Lakes Conference Center. If you care to eat or stay at Cedar Lakes, both of these forms will have to be filled out. Otherwise, if you just sign up for the conference and not the meals and lodging, you won't have meals or lodging. I recommend doing the whole conference experience by staying at Cedar Lakes, as there's a great community of writers from around the state to meet, as well as music and poetry to be heard, both during the conference itself and after hours. Find all that information, including workshop descriptions and presenter bios, at wvwriters.org slash conference And now we present the Literary Tea Poetry Edition, recorded live in October of 2013 at the Greenbrier Valley Theater in Lewisburg. Well, good evening. Um, my name is Eric Fritchus. Welcome to the Literary Tea Poetry Edition, uh, brought to you here by Greenbrier Valley Theater. We have Kathy Sawyer in the back, who's the artistic director of Greenbrier Valley Theater. Um, this evening we're going to feature at the beginning uh, two poets who were winners of our West Virginia Writers Writing Contest. Each year we do an annual writing contest between, well, most of you know this already since I see like four winners in the room as it is, <laughs> but um, basically from January 2nd through the end of March we uh, accept entries for our writing contest in a variety of different categories. And our first reader of the evening was the honorable mention for Emerging Writers Poetry which is a category we've set up for people who've never won or placed any, anywhere in our contest before. Um, she is the music 
composer for Bridget's Wild and Wonderful Adventure, which was a, a stage show that mixed dance and music and um, narration, which I got to do, that Trillium Performing Arts did uh, a couple of different times back in like 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. And Lori Evans was the composer of that, and she wrote a poem called Beachcombing that won honorable mention in Emerging Writers Poetry, and she has a number of other poems to share with us this evening. Lori. Well, this is a really uh, different opportunity for me. I don't usually say anything. <laughs> I usually sit behind the piano. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's not too huge of an audience to start out with. And I hope I'll be doing this some more. Um, but I, I'll just, uh, I'm going to read four poems that were inspired by my children. Um, the, the, the one from the competition, actually that happened twice. I won two different competitions because I was trying to get my children to enter them. <laughs> so the Greenberg Community Foundation had a contest and uh, it had a special format of a poem. I'll get to that in a minute, but I thought it was very intriguing and sort of crossword puzzle-like, and I tried my best to get my daughter to write one, and instead I stayed up until four or five in the morning and wrote two. And, and one of them came first. And then this one, I had done a writing class with a group of homeschoolers. I got them all to enter something in the West Virginia Writers Competition. And they didn't win anything. <laughs> but anyway, it was good for me. So, um, so I'm going to start off with, this is actually kind of a silly little poem, but um, there's a little trajectory here because uh, my children inspired me to write a lot of the poems that I've written. So this was when they were very small. And my daughter was in bed, and we would make up little things. And she said, you need to sing me a lullaby, but a new one, one I haven't heard before. And I said, well, oh, OK, what should, we, what should we sing about? And she said, worms. I think the worms need a lullaby. So this one's a little cutesy. It's called Lullaby for Worms. Good night, all you worms out sleeping in the grass. Stay warm inside your earthy beds until the freezes pass. Good night, all you worms out sleeping in the ground. Stay safe from all those hungry birds that tug at what they found. Do you lie as still as still to save up all your strength? Or do you wiggle all you can to warm your wormy length? Good night, all you worms. I hope you sleep just fine. So curl up in your own warm beds, and I'll curl up in mine. So that was when I got into this little. Then the uh, poem contest that the community foundation did, you had, uh, it was called a horizontal vertical poem. I don't know if any of you saw that when you did it. You had to have two words uh, in pairs, three columns. And the poem had to make sense both horizontally and vertically. So I'm not sure how, it, how well it reads, but I'll read it across first, and then I'll read it down. Sweet boy. Smooth face, dear smile. Sky eyes, snag tooth, mop hair. In play, in sleep, you beguile. Time flies, charmed youth, how rare. So that's this. Then the same words going down. Sweet boy, sky eyes. In play, time flies. Smooth face, snag tooth. In sleep, charmed youth. Dear smile, mop hair. You beguile, how rare.
Now he's getting braces. So his snag teeth were gone. <laughs> the be beach combing is the one that I, I got the honorable mention for, and we were at the beach last summer. And uh, these are many things that we would do together. Beach combing. Boardwalk over dunes, sea oats crown the tops. At the wooden edge, leave your flip-flops. Surf booming, umbrellas blooming, clouds smothered horizon never stops. Long-legged tick-tick birds, pushy seagulls call, quick digging beetle bugs, not bugs at all. Mermaids purses, pirate curses, sea-gated sandcastle with crumbling wall. Jump over wavelets, run up the shore, walk in giant footsteps of one who came before. Pelicans hover, crabs take cover, skim the frothy sea foam from the sandbar floor. Sunglasses coated with salty spray, the sky cast over with sheets of gray. Moon jelly shine at the pebbled waterline, but where are all the shells today? And this is the last one that's really about my children. Now my daughter's a teenager, and she does things that worry me. So this poem is called, When the Pin is Left Open, Does All the Safety Fall Out? In the bathroom, an open safety pin, on the sink countertop, with the toothbrushes and makeup. I am chagrined. I forgot to close it, she says, nothing more. Today, one on the floor. Surely someone will step on it, this not-so-safety pin. Why is it open there? What is it for? I forgot to close it, she says, and it fell. It's not a mortal sin. Another day, another pin. This one between the soap, shampoo, and body scrub, next to the little sponge animals, cold and soggy with last night's shower spray. Why is it there in the tub? She doesn't say. Do you want me to do another couple? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this one, um, I was in a fit of peak because I was sure that I couldn't uh, win first place with rhyming poems. I have no idea if this is true or not, because I actually don't know who, what, what the, some of the other poems were <laughs> that won. They may all rhyme, I don't know. <laughs> but I guess for a while, a lot of poems, you know, they aren't rhyming. So I was complaining about that. Poems shouldn't rhyme. It's not hip anymore. It's a bore. Somehow they're not so sublime as in ages before. No, no, now you must show how wise what you know, how keen, how deep your perception. If too humorous, don't mention. You won't win any prizes, for modern taste despises. Strict scansion and sing-song stanzas. You must swear, figuratively tear out your hair, explain the interconnectedness of all things to some loving universal energy source in terms both profound and rare. But, shit. My words, they have to fit, because I'm a rhyming idiot. Life's so unfair. <laughs> and finally, just to, to end, I have a little poem about fall here. And I think it's still a work in progress, but because it's fall and I was thinking about it, I tried to pull it together, so it might be, need some work still. <clears throat> like popcorn, an intermittent, sudden, small, yet explosive sound, with a twingy hint of a metallic ping, a touch of basketball bounce with a hollow rubbery ring, echoing off the underside of cars, 
green-skinned golf balls mashed, revealing deep brown scars. Autumn is finally fully crowned when I drive over fallen walnuts scattered on the ground. Our next winner was uh, placed second in the Pearl S. Buck Award for Writing for Social Change. And this is a category in our contest that has only been around for two years. And it, we've teamed up with the Pearl S. Buck Birthplace Foundation in Hillsboro. And they sponsored this, and they, they look to get people to write uh, poetry or prose about social change or, or calling for social change. And uh, our, our winner of that second place wrote a poem called The Corner of Jackson and Auburn and the King Center, Atlanta. And he teaches English at Greenbrier East, very rich. Thank you. Good evening. Unlike Lori, I'm usually the guy doing the talking. In fact, I, uh, I'm a very verbose person and talk too much. Um, like Lori, we live on the same street. Uh, like Lori, my motivation for, uh, or how I came to be here tonight, is I have students and I want my students to enroll in writing contests. And so I was working with several students and I guess the, the thing that I like that West Virginia Writers does is they offer uh, students to send in submissions for free. So. I sent a few in, and then trying to gain some credibility in my own mind, I took some older pieces that I had and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. In fact, I gave it to some of my students, and uh, I didn't tell them I wrote it, and we read it, and they just kind of like, we didn't get that. So uh, I'm a big fan of, I guess, narrative poems because they're supposed to I guess speak for themselves or not really require much of a backstory. Uh, I've never, never sent a poem out before or never, never won anything on a creative venture. And in that way, I come to writing, I guess, as a, um, a magazine kind of guy turned wannabe poet. And it looks like some of that came to fruition. So uh, I'll, I'll try to forgo the backstory on this piece. I, I have the time two page turns. But I will say this, even though it, it is uh, written in the poem, the poem came about as a result of me uh, visiting the King Center in Atlanta. I was attending Kennesaw State University. I had a degree, and I, I wanted to become a teacher, so I went back to school. And one of the requirements, or one of the courses I took, was to um, uh, write a, or one of the classes I had had a requirement that I, I had read an autobiography based on my experiences of ethnicity and living in Atlanta and having never been to the King Center before. I said, well, I'm going to go down and check that out. And uh, I ended up writing a poem on top of an, an essay. With that being said, sorry, I told you I was verbose. <laughs> <laughs> the corner of Jackson and Auburn in the King Center, Atlanta. In the fold of amber hush inside Ebenezer Baptist Church, atop crimson carpet and creaking ebony pews, an ancient woman told me of Jesus, her Jesus, our fasting and feasting toward a common ground within a verbal cat's cradling. 
about who he certainly is not. We knew, yes indeed, show enough. I was there to write an experience essay for a college class. She, a volunteer. Her hands folded in grandma confidence. She told me of her history. Her attending in the 1960s with her cousin, moving to Alabama, returning and seeing it all, through it all. She made me her friend. We had the Jesus thing after all. She whispered of the latest preacher, two planes and his fancy ride, of flashy double-sided congrats, of the million-dollar sanctuary under construction out there, a block away, her stiffly nodding in that otherly direction, not worthy of the full look. Her confiding in and hoping for, hoping for a gone-by times yet to come one departed Holy Spirit ago, her cataracted eyes unable to cloud what she wanted not to see, as if she were a mariner on a stalled section of ocean where only time had moved around her foreboding. I left, befriended yet jaded, walking into the bright and angry heat, hearing electric saws singing spit and polish hymns amidst the Neho historic district of imported brick, hearing pounding hammers thumping the coming gospel, tracking my own course through her opinion, and my imagining a man at a podium, between words, in a pause, my hearing a microphone's hiss. The heat, Atlanta can be so hot. I arrived to what was reflected in a shallow pool, an aqua-painted moat that surrounded a marble tomb, where I watched a girl toss a pagan penny to the reverence where I then asked myself if I were the only one who heard give Caesar what is his, in which in turn had me asking what really is his, maybe away from the visitor center's AC Otherworld and the National Park Service, away from the idling buses and certainly not of men wearing hats, eating, laughing, as politeness only involves staying out of others' photos, while the girl's little sister tugged a faded plaque, an unreadable plaque that probably urged not to throw coins, who then chased a pigeon that chased a man a crub as a crumb, as a grackle chased a sparrow that snatched it. A sparrow, my then thinking, the and none shall fall that he does not know verse. My catching myself in my own inescapable swelter that we haven't gotten there either. I may not get there with you. Not a one of us left standing. That it's every man for himself at times. As if I hoped for too much. As if, as if I expected too much by my just being there. Uh, my second uh, poem that didn't uh, didn't win is about apropos enough about 
poetry reading or attending a poetry reading. Uh, several years ago, I saw an ad in the, in the news, not an ad, uh, well, what do you call it when it's talking about events? An advertisement about the Poet Laureate of West Virginia coming to uh, Greenbrier, I'm sorry, Greenbrier Community College, what it was called at the time. So I went, and um, there were other students there in a creative writing class, and I guess I'll share with you my experiences. Poet Laureate of West Virginia reads at Greenbrier Community College. She said we all wanted the same three things, love, meaningful work, freedom from pain. Her insight opened journals, her turning like clicking cogs, inspiring. She spoke of beginnings and endings, that they are easy to remember. And yet the middles, middles, they become long and cloudy. She told of a fallen man saying that poverty is like blows repeatedly inflicted upon the same spot. About the man, troubled, a former student, the police contacted her, finding her phone number in his empty wallet. No ID, it's all he had. The gulf, the connection, a slip of paper. She spoke of writing and its fighting against the everyday preventing. And in this, she came full circle, revealing what might be between the lines, between verses of truths we had wished had been our own, in an auditorium, cold, a metaphor folded upon itself. Poet uh, has actually won a number of awards from West Virginia writers in the past, and he was our one of our featured uh, presenters during the first prose literary tea this year. And he read some of the pieces that he had won for, actually one of the pieces he won for this year on the prose category. But he also won for the writer's wall pro poetry category. And each year at our conference, we have like a wall that's like a little temporary wall that Cedar Lakes Conference Center sets up, and we can pin poems and prose to it, and the people that are attending the conference get to vote on that, and we also have uh, uh, people's choice sessions in which you can recite your work, and he won for the Writer's Wall Poetry second place for a, a uh, poem called Criticism, and uh, he's one of our, our previous featured people here at the Literary Tees, Mr. Miles Dean. sequence and not understand why on earth Rebecca, who expects the pot to be ready when she gets up. She'll fix it. It's not as if she's playing queen or something. Just that she, like me, is a creature of habit. And then there we are, both a half a minute behind and out of sequence. In my foggy state, something I was writing in my sleep will be lost in. I'll not have the sharpness of mind to resurrect the story. Rebecca will likely be late for her first meeting or call as she doesn't look at her list until she's done with coffee and conversation. 
then there's the conversation starter thing. How does one say, how did you sleep, to someone who is still not yet awake? I do need my coffee in the morning. <laughs> Second one is a, I, I, I usually have an annual cold poem that I work at. I try to not recite it at the wrong places. And the name of this is In the End It Went Away. There once was a storyteller named Dr. Bruce who tried to tell a story about Barb and Lot's goose. However, he tried, his focus became moot as the story devolved to discuss Barb and Lot's moose. After this story was told and it ended up badly, Dr. Bruce, Dr. Bruce finished the telling and it went away sadly. So beginning again, I'll tell you quite true and hope it has meaning, especially for you. Some miners dug deep seeking diamonds and gold but instead found carbon that would ward off the cold. They summoned their relatives to join in their quest. For all of these efforts, they surely were blessed. More relatives came in a tipple they built. Houses for miners soon resembled a quilt. Flat land became crowded and hillsides bisected, as rails and a railroad were thereafter erected. Bigger shovels were needed, then bigger more still, and finally they started to just blast off the hill. Trees were all harvested and then sent away. Topsoil was washed off, leaving just shale and clay. Water was poisoned, barren deer ran away, birds in the trees just ended their stay. Miners were coughing, the water ran red, and now the sickest of them just stayed in the bed. More coal was still present, and they knew they needed some friends for a while, so they begged and they pleaded. Look around, my friends, we share this together. I get the money and you get the weather. Don't let them destroy all that we've got. It's all for the good, it sure means a lot. Until it's all gone, then I'll be gone also, and you can be friends with all that remains. Third one is a one that's related to the time of year. The name of it is Deadline. Witches squatting, squatting close about a smoky fire, tattered, torn smocks, showing no concern for modesty, eyes red, long nails, hair matted like used stable straw, chins the color texture of dried tobacco, spittle dribbling from solitary outpost hairs. At the edge of the clearing I trust a pig for roasting, vines cut into my wrist looped around my feet, tied around a stick in my mouth. Chewing, a horse trying to spit its bit. A dribble of blood from the corner of my mouth, making a slow rain on the ground. Not much time. Witch's voice is louder, giving way to cackles. The stick softens, the pale ale of the bitter. The stick breaks, I spit the splinters. Be away, be away. Lack of circulation makes walking impossible. Stumble, crawl through the bushes, up the bank into the forest, flee from the witches at the fire. They know I'm gone, I can hear it in their cries. Flee away, flee away. I see light in the distance. Faster, faster to the light, a stationary beacon, my salvation. Stumble, fall, keep moving, keep moving. A flash from that distant light as it starts to move away. Choking back an involuntary sob, tears create furrows on my cheeks, keep going, keep going. 
Rush, trip, stumble, keep going. Road, I found a road. Start in the direction of the receding lights. Breathing loud, heart pounding in my ears. Just in time. Hear the crackle of witches behind me in the road, rolling into safety in the ditch as witches pass, looking this way and that. Pine tar torches giving a smoky light. Careless to their torches, a spark drops into the ditch. They move on. Gathering the precious ember cradled in my nest of dry grass, seeking a pine bough before the flame is lost. Blowing softly, hope alive, fumbling, searching the ditch, finding a branch, nursing the spark, flame burning my hand. While lights, my journey continues. Which is lights now far in the distance? From my back, the lights of another vehicle approaching. Stepping into the road, I wave my torch, the bus thunders by. At a point of despair, the vehicle screeches to a halt, hollering to the door of the Greyhound as it stands panting. Driver stares a baleful stare, motions me onto the bus. To the back, he signals. Other passengers fill most seats, all silent and in various states of repose. I sit, grateful and quiet. Breathing easier as the bus thunders past the witches, my body relaxes and I sleep, a troubled sleep. The bus stops to make pickups, but no one ever disembarks. We go through villages quietly, but never stop. Between bits of sleep, I worry, asking the driver, where are we going? He just waves me away. His hands on the steering wheel, a giant holding a cookie. Finally, the bus comes to a stop at a country church. Driver disembarks and turns to help the passengers get off. One by one, they climb down. The driver receives their fare from a country preacher standing by the door. Passengers let off, not to the church, but the cemetery next to the church. I'm in line, next. The driver's massive hand reaches for me. I kick out and release the door handle. Jump into the driver's seat, fumble the bus into gear, and stop the accelerator. The hand still grips my shoulder, calling my name over and over. I know a poem must be good if it's firing creative impulses in my head, and I'm already <laughs> sketching down memories of mine that I'd like to develop into something. I actually did develop something this year. I, I'm not a poet, and I, I love doing these poetry teas because I can hear the talent of other people who are poets. But once in a while, in fact, most of, most of the rhyming and, and poetry in my soul I get out by singing to my dogs, or my cats, as the case may be. And uh, often, oftentimes the poems are about being cruel to them, or the songs that I sing are about being cruel to them. I would never be cruel to them, but they don't know that, so keep them on their toes. So this is called A Poem Inspired by a Song, Improvised and Sung Downstairs, After I Left My Bowl of Freshly Prepared Chili on My Desk Upstairs. In order to run back downstairs to answer my cell phone, which I had neglected to bring upstairs when I went to my office to eat my lunch. That's just the title. <laughs> Oh, I sure hope there is not a kitty in my chili. I saw him there beside the desk, sniffing to his utter kitty risk the fumes from my delicious bowl of chili this fine noon. Oh, I sure hope there is not a kitty in my chili. 
I cannot believe he'd ever dare to take bites of my spicy fare. He'd better hope he hasn't, and to his life will be a boon. Oh, I sure hope there is not a kitty in my chili. I would hate to have to pound him, giving flatness to his round with the empty bowl of chili and my spoon. Oh, I sure hope there is not a kitty in my chili. A status like an unto dead will be visited upon the head of a kitty found in proximity to my chili and real soon. Oh, I sure hope there is not a kitty in my chili. For if a kitty is there at my bowl, things will not work out for his soul. The phrasing rest in pieces to be written on his tomb. Oh, I sure hope there is not a kitty in my... Oh, my bad, he's on the couch. <laughs> Good kitty. <laughs> that was one of those Samuel Taylor Coleridge moments where I was singing this song to the kitty, and I was hearing these verses coming out and going, oh, that's wonderful, I should really write that down. And this doesn't really match it exactly, but it approximates it. That's my poem for the year. Our next uh, reader today is, I don't know if you write poetry. Do you write poetry? I don't write poetry. But you recite poetry. I do, well, I read. Well, you read poetry. Uh, I guess we'll let you play. Uh, Michael Lubitschek was actually a reader at the very first literary team this year for prose, and she's the office manager here? Yes. Okay. Office manager here at GBT, and she has a couple of, of poems by another poet to read. I have written on occasion, but my brother told me it was terrible, so <laughs> keep them to myself and just read Dorothy Parker instead. Um, these are, are two short pieces from her collection, Enough Rope. One perfect rose. A single flower he sent me since we met, all tenderly his messenger he chose, deep-hearted, pure, with scented juice, still wet. One perfect rose. I knew the language of the floweret, my fragile leaves, it said, his heart enclosed. Love long has taken for his amulet one perfect rose. Why is it no one ever sent me yet one perfect limousine, do you suppose? I know. It's always just my luck to get one perfect rose. And the second piece is a song of perfect propriety. Oh, I should like to ride the seas, a roaring buccaneer, a cutlass banging at my knees, a dirk behind my ear. And when my captive's chains would clank, I'd howl with glee and drink, and then fling out the quivering plank and watch the beggars sink. I'd like to straddle gory decks and dig in laden sands and know the feel of throbbing necks between my knotted hands. I should like to strut and curse among my blackguard crew. But I'm writing little verse, as little ladies do. Oh, I should like to dance and laugh and pose and preen and sway and rip the hearts of men in half and toss the bits away. I'd like to view the reeling years through unastonished eyes and dip my fingertips in tears and give my smiles for sighs. I'd stroll beyond the ancient bounds and tap at fastened gates and hear the prettiest of sound, the clink of shattered fates. My slaves I'd like to bind with thongs that cut and burn and chill. But I am writing little songs, as little ladies will.
our next reader, actually our next poet, has written some of my favorite poetry to have heard here on the stage. Um, she has written quite a number of poems, and I remember back in 2002 or three, she participated in a poetry slam at Carnegie Hall, and um, I, as far as I'm concerned, she was robbed. Because she, she is, we, we measured things by the amount of applause, and we had a little applause meter that the audience could see, and and you know however much applause, that's that's who would, was going to win, and she didn't place first on the the one technicality in that her poem was slightly over the time limit that we had given. It was like a five minute time limit or something like that. But but for uh, Sammy Lewis, please take the stage. Sammy Lewis, and I must confess, I'm a poetry rhymer. I just can't help myself. <laughs> so I'd like to read some of my poetry for you. <clears throat> it's inevitable. Stealthily, mother creeps downstairs carefully avoiding protruding chairs, <laughs> silently opens kitchen door, sidesteps loose board and creaking floor, chooses food for a midnight snack, fool them, she thinks, leaning back, commences peaceful, silent chewing, Hey, Mom, what you doing? <laughs> this one is a young mother's ambition. Older Stetsoned cowboys in books of Wild West's daring hankered to hang up the guns they were wearing. Bold knights of old in the dueling field had visions of hanging that heavy shield. Like these hardy souls, I too, a young mother, search for pleasure, look forward to times of dalliance and leisure. Before I'm a gaunt-faced, wrinkle-ridden hag, hag, oh please, let me hang up my diaper bag. <laughs> this one is a poem about searching for beauty. Our first, our new best friend, once taut skin, now groups and sags, in the most astonishing places. Puffy eyes peer out and over age-swollen bags. Deep creases, lines, adorn oldish faded faces. As such age-related tragedies abound, advance, unexpected social complications here. Employers and prospective mates look at one askance. Pets, little children hide, 
trembling in fear. However cuttingly the mirrored image may offend, lament not. A new method camouflages time's ravages. Judicious, careful application of our new best friend promises the, re the return of youthful visages. Deftly place this magic cure on facial devastation. Forceful upward strokes assures proper placement. Exactly. What is this miracle of instant rejuvenation? What entraps turkey gobbler necks keeps jowls intact? Forget beauty shop therapy. Think hardware emporium. Amongst the sorted nuts and bolts rests our benefactor, neatly shelved awaiting advent of the most venturesome flesh-colored duct tape ready its promise to honor. Steel gray duct tape is passe, unsuitable in appearance. Only flesh-colored tape serves our special needs. Only it provides proper lift and secure adherence in shrouding deep cut crow's feet. Only it succeeds. While sporting new tastefully colored duct tape pieces, revel in tightened jowls, no crow's feet, bagless eyes, revel in absent gobbler necks, and motion of deep creases, mirrors, now proudly confronted, will our beauty emphasize. By careful hair arrangement, tape concealments is assured, a tuck here, a curly wisp turned under there, affords discreet wearability in low, lowest light, High voltage light, however, may cause a random stare. Be warned, certain idiosyncrasies may perchance occur. Fraying edges, inability to wink or blink, a puckered line. Our friend shrinks as well from limelight's black, bright blur, but in the dimmest, dimly lit circumstances, don't we look fine? <laughs> Black market Twinkies are in our future. <laughs> Beware, folks, the fat police are on the march, coming for us we chubby ones. The fat police are here to raid our refrigerators, our lives, our contentments. They wish to change our rosy, smiling faces to match the sickly gray of theirs. <laughs> <laughs>
they wished to change our happy souls into grouchy, angry, starvation proponents. Why are these belligerent little people so angry, so adamant in their attacks? Whatever happened to the premise of freedom of choice, of steak or gruel, fat or lean, sweet or sour, tasty or bland, satisfactorily fed or merely sufficient? I say, let us hold our drumsticks high and fight for our right to refuel. Our basic traditions are at stake. Hot dogs, holiday pies, cakes, ice cream. Traditions assailed by ones with caloric deficiencies and no sweets or steaks to chew. They have, van, they have handy bathroom scales and calipers attached to gleaming surface belts, ready to weigh and measure over-endowed frames and pinch an inch on us, too. <clears throat> the Fat Patrol go about their business banning this or that wreaking havoc as they pass. No more coconut oil in movie popcorn. No more donuts fried in pure sweet lard. These oils replaced by man-made products with impure additives meant to slim us down. This fat police oil decree causes obesity to escalate, yet they blame us with no regard. Our adversaries are mean, miserably unhappy from lack of sustenance, ever on the prowl. We happy, contented people go through life with satisfaction, full of vim, vim vigor, and food. We tubbies have a brownie or two up our sleeves, and we're not afraid to use them. So enemy, beyond alert, finagle with our meats and sweets, and we'll resist. That's a certitude. We meet over groaning buffet tables. We ponder our line of defense against the fat police. We nibble coconut oil popcorn and lard fried donuts, sip a high caffeine coffee brew, and say a final consensus toasted with a rich chocolate milkshake drink is fat police, you must back off or we personable, pleasingly plump people will be forced to sit on you. <laughs> the Preacher Man Years played out in measured scenes 
going from young to old, high to low. The preacher skimmed along these passing years with sanctimonious righteous calm, calling forth the sinful to meet their mortal fate. Thunder roared through churchly halls as his lightning flashed to light the quavering crowds. Children hid in motherly skirts, quaking. Even the saintly pious few, Blanche, falling a tremble at his feet. This last one is uh, a tribute to my beloved sister-in-law. She passed away. And she always dreamed of traveling the world, but instead devoted her life to family and friends. Gladys, angel of earth and heaven, gentle spirit, wait for us as we struggle to merit a place by your beloved precious side in your heavenly God-given space. By a glimpse of a shiny, bewinged angel from the corner of an eye, we fathom you are here, protecting us still in our wayward journey to your realm. Did you not wear wings from birth, visible only to the adoring beings that felt their brush on face and heart, who gladly partook of those earthly wings? You now soar over wonders of earth and heaven with gossamer wings in rapturous swirls. Oh, dear Gladys, flying glad abandon, savoring the knowledge and beauty of your two worlds. When time spins out and we seek your wings, let us, Gladys, in your wake, soar to celestial heights beyond our sight, basking in the comfort of your wings once more. Gentle spirit, wait for us.
couple of weeks ago for the first time we went to a veterans hospital. It wasn't as disturbing as I would have thought, but it wasn't no day at the beach. So I'm gonna spread the misery a little bit. I'm gonna read some soldier poems. When I started up in Ann Arbor, I was privileged to know a man named Bob Hickok. I think he's teaching now at the college down in, uh, in Asheville. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, he did any number of poems in the first person from other people's point of views. He was spooky. He did a poem, a teenage prostitute, a serial killer, a government executioner, a 1930s Berliner homosexual, just poem after poem that would chill your blood. Bob was never in Vietnam. As far as I know, he was never in the military. But when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll get out this poem he wrote. It's called Maybe. Maybe it's a dream I have, or an image that occurs each or every other day, maybe four times a week. Perhaps it's not as gruesome as it sounds, or I'm lying, or the blood didn't bubble out of his mouth like a thin burning custard, or the twitching of his legs and arms, his torso, his entire body was a kind of dance, a possession, a not very funny joke. Maybe it never happened, the war, I mean. Just like some said, we never went to the moon, or don't really exist at all. There were just an elaborate fiction, a mirage, a thought dream stream in a dog or an alien's head. Maybe he wasn't my best friend. Maybe his stomach didn't spill into my hands. Maybe, perhaps, I was in a backyard in L.A. or Chicago. Had just opened a beer and turned on the radio to hear the Dodgers play the Braves or the cards take on the Cubs. Maybe I watched TV one night in 68, saw a man go down and not get up and said to myself, too bad, as I searched the dial for Napoleon Solo and Ilya Karyak and maybe... He didn't call out for his mama or clutch my wrist or reach for his 45. Maybe it wasn't the most beautiful day there. Maybe I was the one dying and he was the one thinking, don't let this happen to me. Maybe, maybe he was the one talking to you now. And I long ago seeped into the mud, my bones, rice, reaching toward the sun. Maybe I'm still seven years old and playing with little green soldiers. <coughs> and making the noises of bombs and rifles and suddenly my mom calls me in for tomato soup and bologna sandwiches and I'm mad because she took me from what I most like doing more than anything in the world and maybe I'm middle-aged and live in a nice home and do all the normal things like mow the lawn and check the box for mail, wave to anyone who looks remotely like a neighbor and make maybe wake from time to time ready to kill the next thing that moves. My wife was never in Vietnam either, but she wrote this one's called Legion. Campfires burning in the valley like upside down stars, moving shapes of men whose home is the ground beneath them, singing scrape of whetstone across metal, hard muscled hands working new lace leather, Greased sheep hide and pumice buffing Roman armor. The Legion fights tomorrow. Three days of fast pace brought them here, muscles strained by trotting in full kit, yabber tight. Tyros salve the many places where the straps bite deep. Veterans wear plate and boiled leather like a second skin. 
where aches and scratches like another layer of callus the Legion fights tomorrow. Camp ovens blend a sense of charcoal smoke and round loaves. Metal smiths fires flame spark upwards in the dark. Surgeons benches made ready, instruments sharpened. Engineers sorting their tools and twisting new ropes. Baggage carts and draft mules grouped and numbered. The Legion fights tomorrow. Older men carry scars like maps of past campaigns. Recruits build dry walls of courage word by word. Small gatherings assemble for prayer and ceremony. Silent loners practice beyond the firelight movement by automatic movement dancing the game of death. The Legion fights tomorrow. Young tongues talk with hopeful sureness of the glory of Rome, repeating slogans given to those who should not think. Older voices are still, older ears listen to the past, battles blending into battles, blood atop dried blood, memories of screams louder than slogans. The Legion fights tomorrow. Experienced soldiers know Rome not as a glorious mother, rather a loveless harlot, using free folk and slave, commoner and noble, citizen and subject. Rome stands hip deep in gold and treasure, speaking one word with blood red lips, more. The Legion fights tomorrow. Rolled in wooden bl woolen blankets, they sleep mindlessly, sword in hand, guarding against dreams. Wakening at first light and rechecking equipment, moving in drilled, efficient silence, yet once again the human killing machine assembles itself. The Legion fights today. Brass horns sound. The forward ranks lock shields together. Ave from a thousand throats. For the Senate people of Rome, for the great general from Mars, for the fates, for death itself, drums throb the double cadence of the running attack. The Legion fights now. A couple of short ones I did this at Druk Mountain, 1863. It's just a short while since my feet were still sore and my legs tired. But the only thing I feel now is about 50 pounds of ice in the middle of my belly because our army and their army are meeting here atop this mountain with the funny name. The big guns opened the battle. I'm told the Chinese invented gunpowder, but I think old Scratch came up with cannons. Cannons that eat gunpowder by the bag full and spit grape shot by the bucket full and maybe half your platoon goes down at once. Or some high explosive round comes down and knocks you bang over foremost and different chunks of you land in different locations. The big guns stop as they close in. Comes at musket fire and volley together and fear has become a taste and a smell. Then it's independent fire at will. I shoot and reload and shoot and reload till some dead guy falls against me when my belt pouch is open and all my percussion caps go into the dirt. And I'm wishing I had one of those new Henry rifles where you can shoot about a dozen people before you have to reload, but of course that Henry throws such a dinky bullet you'd likely have to go back and shoot some of them twice. But now the boys on our end of the line are running backwards like some bugle horn blue chow call and payday both together. And I must have heard that same bugle because here's me running, plowing through a thicket of brush till I bump up against a midland-sized tree. And I'm standing there trying to gather myself and something goes bang into the other side. And we each look around our tree at the other. 
stands two dirty-faced young men about the same age and size and each one wearing the wrong kind of uniform. We unfreeze real quick, but his hand shakes so bad he can't reload, and my bayonet won't fix for I'm shaking too, and we almost laugh and stop, and I feel my face change just as his eyes brighten, and we strike this silent agreement to run in different directions. And I'm not praying as I bust out of that ticket, for I think God turned his face against us this day, but I'm just kind of hoping to him, please, sir, maybe someday that boy's grandchildren and mine can meet beside a tree like back there and not be trying to reload their guns. It's called Once. We were comrades once in the Franco-Prussian War. Young happy peasants in the first modern army. I just can't recall which. It was the something or other empire, I'm certain of that. Hope our side won. Though I guess it doesn't matter whose colors we saluted. The other guy's trench had the same kind of mud. I've been a soldier in a hundred lifetimes, and I can't remember why. How strange it is to make a body out of molecules and magic and let it be destroyed. I won't be back. If you want me, I will be between the trenches, kicking this mud goodbye. When the bugle blows, I'll wave my hand at the stars. I don't know who this poet is, Will Ash Basin, a friend of ours, sent, uh, saw his poem in a magazine and sent it to us years ago. I've never come across anything by this person. And it's up to us to re-enchant this planet Earth. We are the elves and the giants. We are the shining ones, daughters of the moon and sons of the sun. We are the shapeshifters. We are the mysterious light shrouded in mist at the dawn of our time. And it's up to us to re-enchant this living planet Earth. Up to us to midwife at our own rebirth. Up to us to send our dead along their ancient pathways to the future. Up to us to re-enchant this living planet Earth. It's up to us to break the spell that steals the color from the world and leaves it lifeless. It was our spell. We can break it. It's up to us to break the spell that steals the music from the wind and the rain and leaves them senseless. It was our spell. We can break it. We will dance the magic dance, and in time we will remember. We will sing the magic songs, and together we'll remember how to live together, how to love each other, how to ride the dragons, how to call the unicorns home. Valentino was one of my cats. 
<laughs> My dermatologist comes through the door like a locomotive, compressed liquid nitrogen can, a headlamp looming before him. Dryer times. Ensnared from each end, twisted towel twins knotted into fitted sheet. You slid into haiku here, I like to do haiku. Harvest song. The blue jay cried out just at the moment I plucked a pear tomato. Family visit. From 10 years ago, a single thing remembered, the ice cream machine. And then I have a piece that combines some uh, prose and some poetry. Again, haiku, but with a little bit of a different slant. And the prose explains that and gives you a setting for the poetry. And it has three parts. The original title of this was A Good Board Member or Con Call Redux. And it has three parts now. It began as a piece I wrote for um, Willa Izzo's writing class at Shepherd Center a few years ago has grown a little bit. Part one, summer 2011. Yesterday morning I found myself once again not really in the mood for a conference call. I'd slept late and made scones for breakfast and the call was less than an hour away. I resisted the impulse to stay in my pajamas, then assembled the relevant documents and located the call-in number and code. Following my own advice, I did some torso twists and stretching. Then went outdoors and walked around the yard in the sunshine for a little while. Ah, just a few more minutes. Time to make a cup of Earl Grey. But what else to sustain me once I called in? It was right in front of me on the table. A game called High Cubes that I got on sale two days earlier. Not a competitive game, more of an activity. Picture several dozen largish dice, each with a word on each side. The idea is to arrange the offered words into short poems in the Japanese haiku, Japanese haiku structure which I won't insult you by describing. I like to write haiku, but all this was different. Finding ideas, stories, and syllables in the words lying before you, rather than finding words to say what you want and fit the three lines. It provided a nice balance to the call and kept my mind engaged and receptive and productive. The meeting went well, and we accomplished what we'd set out to. I learned some new words in the business budget branding lingo and had two completed haiku and a second line for another. One able body sings sweet ritual whispers gleeful to my heart. Wild dancing thugs promise every last shiver across the water. I'll leave you with the extra second line that reads, Hot swimming fantasy grace. Feel free to use it. Part two, January 23rd, 2013, approximately 18 months later. In a meeting that began with news of rearranging in system organization and right-sizing, here's what I had at the end. Wicked whispers fall, biting down to consume us, gleeful, glorious. Slimy surfaces, revolting tiger trouble, ritual journey. Slowly fathom this, melodic sleeping heart songs alternate through life. It was only the next morning reading them again that I realized how they expressed aspects of the past few days' activities. From the first major subject we addressed during the meeting's previous hour, before I got out the high cubes, obviously came the first. That was the Wicked Whispers fall. The second is kind of ambiguous and non-threatening. The third reached back two days to our, community outs our community's outstanding Martin Luther King Day celebration. 
We shall overcome and lift every voice and sing, running through my head, uplifting pride and pleasure of the day, partnered with another productive and attentive meeting on the phone. Do I share this with them? Part three, June 20th, 2013. Another good look meeting. Lots to talk about, lots to talk about. Gave me these. Livid moonlight nerve, timidly violet wise. It's shady, doctor. Her logical man sings glancing glorious riches, tangled eyes embrace. Under one shiver, dynamic fortune open. Excuse me, I'll start again. Under one shiver, dynamic fortune window opens to my feet. And that wraps up the 2013 Poetry Literary Tea as recorded at the Greenbrier Valley Theater in Lewisburg. Thanks again to all the poets and readers who participated. I should note that one of the featured poets of the evening, Miles Dean, has two books of poetry available for sale, the most recent of which was published late last year. They are called Furrows on Parchment and Musings After Midnight. You can find them at Amazon.com. And both of these are found linked at our podcast website for the entry for this episode 69. Check out those books because they are indeed excellent. We'll also be airing another recorded live reading from the Literary Tea Series in the near future that also features Mr. Dean, as he was one of the winners of Writer's Wall and People's Choice at our conference last year. Thanks also go to the Greenbrier Valley Theater for hosting the Literary Tea Series each year. GVT is the State Professional Theater of West Virginia. They do great plays and musicals throughout the year, and occasionally I get to appear in them. In fact, if you're going to be in the Lewisburg area from mid to late June, you can catch me as the innkeeper in their forthcoming production of Man of La Mancha. I'm actually going to wind up missing out on a lot of the summer conference this year because it happens to fall during the opening weekend of Man of La Mancha. My plan is to sneak out after Saturday's performance and come to the conference late and then hang out on Sunday. And once again, speaking of the conference, be sure to check out our webpage for all the updates on the upcoming summer conference, including workshop descriptions and a workshop schedule that will be posted soon. We have a conference flyer over there as well, and I'm sure our conference coordinator and president, Teresa Newsom, would be tickled unto pinkness if you printed out a few of those flyers and passed them out on a street corner in your town. Or just leave them at the local coffee shop. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded and assembled atop a hill in Greenbrier County.